This morning we continue our series called um, The Pursuit of Happiness, talking about how often in the world uh, we are all pursuing happiness in some way. But one of the problems we often have is that we pursue it in the wrong way. Uh, I was thinking about that uh, this week uh, because last week we began the study of the Beatitudes. It's uh, some, th- some teaching in, in, in Scripture that talks to us about how to really be happy. And uh, sometimes it's because we define happiness in the wrong way. But I thought about, you know, if we were going to uh, have the Beatitudes for today, if we we're going to name some Beatitudes for today based on what people uh, seem to make, you know, if it's based on the world standards, what would they be? Well, I made up some for this week, okay? Uh, blessed are the rich and famous for they can get into the best restaurants. Okay, that scene would be, you know, blessed are the good looking for they get what they want. You know, something about being good looking, man, you can get almost anything, get by with anything sometimes, you know. Uh, Blessed are those that party for they know how to have a good time. Blessed are those who win for they have, have it made. Blessed are the movers and shakers for they shall make a name for themselves. Blessed are they who demand their rights for they shall not be overlooked. Blessed are the healthy and fit, for they do not mind being seen in a bathing suit. (laughs) Some of you are going, oh. (laughs) Okay. Blessed are those who make it to the top because they get to look down on others. I mean, those are kind of like Beatitudes for today based upon the world's culture. But the interesting thing about it, what's so striking about Jesus' Beatitudes that we see in Matthew chapter 5 is that they're contrary to what we typically view as happiness in the world. Uh, they're they're counterintuitive. They're uh, they go against the, what we normally what we think normally works. They and they are countercultural in a real sense um, because they fly in the face of society's standards. And and, and of all the beatitudes that uh, that seem countercultural, all of them do. The one that we're going to talk about today seems to be the most countercultural. The second beatitude, and that's this in Matthew chapter five verse four. It says, "Happy are those who mourn." For they shall be comforted. Happy are they, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Kind of seems illogical, doesn't it? Happy are the sad. It kind of sounds what it, what it says at first look. Happy are the sad. Well, it, it's not really uh, that. Happy are the brokenhearted. Happy are the ones who are down. Uh, you ever had a broken heart? You ever had a broken heart? You remember your first broken heart? I remember mine. It's in the first grade. Her name was Sharon. I will never forgive Sharon. She broke up with me. But I got over it pretty quickly. Two weeks later, I was in love with, uh, with another girl. You know, and it just kept like, going like that, man. You know, I was like one after another after another. I was going to share with you today, uh, I was reading, uh, there's, there's a, besides Facebook, there's this really dumb site called Dear Diary. You can actually put your diary online and people can read it. There is. I found out about that. And I was reading a couple of things on there. And it's just like a, this fifth or sixth grader. And it was constantly, it's like, well, dear diary, today I, I got my first kiss. You know, I've waited so long. And then it went through, it was like seven days in a row. And each day she'd fall in love with somebody and fall out of love with somebody and fall in love with somebody and fall out of love. I mean, it's like ridiculous, you know. But it's, you know, the next day she kind of ends on a, little girl ends on a positive note. She was excited. But the reality is so often what happens is, is that, you know, we wish that that was the kind of way we dealt with our, with our pain in our life. But that's not the way we ha- that happens in life because most of the pain we have, the suffering we have, uh, takes a little bit longer to uh, heal sometimes than it does when you're young and you have your first puppy love, 
uh, as Donny Osmond used to sing about. Um, that was really a dumb song, by the way. Uh, I was doing a search. I was doing web searches on all kind of weird stuff this week, and I pulled it up, and here's a, a video of Donny Osmond singing Puppy Love. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. My wife used to love Donny Osmond. She thought he was the hottest thing in the world. But um, I'm not telling anything about it, right? Um, even though she's sitting back there, and she's going to kill me later. Um, you know, the, the, the reality is this, though. The Bible really never tries to explain suffering. It really doesn't. Uh, people come to me all the time and ask me, you know, why, 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 why? It really never tries to explain suffering, but it does teach us how to handle it. it, it you know, it, it does teach us this. How can I be happy after a loss, after a broken heart? And it says this in this, this beatitude, Happy are those who mourn, for they shall see, or they shall find comfort. They will be comforted. Uh, last week we talked about the first beatitude, which was what? Anybody remember last week's first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what was the outcome of the poor in spirit? If you have, were poor in spirit, you shall have or receive the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, whichever way you want it, which translation you based upon. It's the reality is this, is that the, the starting point, and we shared this, this is important, why you need to kind of hang in here all eight weeks, is because all these things fit together. The Beatitudes are, are really, it's a process uh, that God teaches us. Jesus was teaching people at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He was saying, here are the things that you need to have in life. Uh, the first thing is this, you need to have, be poor in spirit. We talked about that humility. Humility of spirit is the key to happiness ultimately because when we're not humble, guess what we do? We try to fix everything and solve everything ourselves. And in doing so, all we do is after a period of time, we are not capable, folks, let's just be honest, we're not capable of fixing everything in the world ourselves. And so when things happen, it's kind of like this, the popular idea of happiness is this, having the right circumstances. That's what most people think that happiness is all about, having the right circumstances. It's what I called last week when and then thinking. When this happens, then I'll be happy. When this happens, then I'll be happy. We have this when and then thinking in the world. It's about circumstantial things. But Jesus said this in the Beatitudes. I want to teach you this, he said. I want to teach you that happiness depends not on the right circumstances, but it depends on the right attitudes. My happiness is not determined by what's happening around me, but rather what's happening in me. And so that's why he starts off, and that's why we're here, because we talked about this. We said, you know, a few weeks ago when we this is Purpose Series, we started called... Uh, uh, talking about love as a verb, we said that God said, Jesus said, that the two most important things we can do, and it really tie together, is love God and love people. Love God and love people. And he says that, then he tells us that, that one of the things we're to do is go into the world and reach people to love them, and we're to grow, we're to help people to grow in their relationship with, with each other and, and with God. And, and I share with you that really the, the year-long journey that we're going to be on, I'm not talking about from here to December, from here till June of this coming year, that's our church year. The year-long journey that we're on is, is a journey of becoming more like Christ. It's really I call it a year of transformation. It's a year that by the ministry, the, the end of the ministry year here, by next June, that, that we will think and act more like Jesus. Because the Christian life is not just about getting our ticket to heaven. It's about growing and becoming more, and like, more like Jesus Christ. And we have to think that way so we can act that way. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds, what Scripture says. 
Because we can never truly love God and love people unless we do that, unless our minds change, our attitudes change, which changes our priorities and changes our actions. And so he begins to teach and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It all starts with being humble enough to say, I can't do it myself. I need you, God, in my life. Here am I. And then he says, following that, he says the beatitude we're looking at this week, Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And what he's talking about here is, once again, you know, if we think that we can solve all our own problems, what we normally do then is when we come to the difficult parts of life where it causes us pain and difficulty in life, what do we do? We try to fix it ourselves. And what happens when we try to fix it ourselves? We find that we cannot fix it ourselves, and so we go to counselors or we become depressed or, or we become you know, suicidal if you want to get to, the, to that point many times. But God says in the midst of the things that happen in life, because all of us will have bad things happen to us. If you haven't had one yet, just wait. I'm not trying to be a pessimist, okay? I'm just being a realist. All of us have good and bad that happens in life to us. And so we have to understand how do we get the comfort we need? How, do we, how, do, how can we be happy, have this inner joy, this inner peace in the midst of the ups and downs of life? How do we get the comfort that we need in the experiences of life? Well, God teaches this in several ways in Scripture. And this morning, I just want to give you three things that it says to us about how we can find the comfort of God, get the comfort of God in the midst of the morning of life. The first point is this, that God says to us clearly, and this is the first really simple point, is we need to realize that God is with us. Realize that God is with me. Some of us have this idea that God's somewhere off up there, somewhere in his place, sitting in heaven in some kind of big lounge chair or something, or a throne, and he's not, he has no connection with us whatsoever. But when we, we think he's distant or he doesn't care, but the Bible tells us over and over again, and I believe the Bible is true and it's real, in my life, I try to live my life based upon biblical principles. It's called having a biblical worldview. All of you have a worldview. You may not sit around and think about it a lot, but all of you have a worldview. All of us have a worldview. The worldview is the filter that which filters everything we do in life, the decisions we make, the priorities we make. This year, one of the goals is to help you and me to become biblically literate enough to understand that we have to have a foundation and we have to have filters to filter things through. So every time we do anything, not just come to church on Sunday... But what you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, everything we do is filtered through a biblical worldview. That is becoming, that is thinking and acting like Jesus does. And one of the things that Jesus understood, he understood the Psalms. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now what does that say? Jesus, God cares. God is with me you got to remember three things when you're in pain in your life, when you're going through deep pain in life. Number one, God is aware. God is aware. He is aware of what's going on. Job said this, and if you read the book of Job, it's about all the, you know, you talk about a person who had some really bad stuff happen to him. Job says this, God, you keep a close watch on all my paths. You're aware of what's going on in my life. God is watching over you. Nothing escapes his eyes. The Bible even says our very tears are numbered by God. He knows every tear that we shed. He understands. He's aware. Secondly, God cares. Not only is he aware, but he cares. Uh, the Bible says the Lord, is a, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. 
We have a sympathetic Holy Father who, who really cares. Your pain matters to God. You can talk to Him about your hurt. And then thirdly, God wants to help you out. He really does. He's not just this guy up in the sky who doesn't want to have anything to do with you. The Bible says, let us approach God with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what Scripture says. You see, God not only offers us awareness, He offers us assistance. The word comfort in a real sense, it comes from an old English word when it's translated, confortus, and the old English word means with strength. That's what it means. It means God wants to strengthen you. Comfort is something that strengthens you and gives you comfort in your time of need. But some people in life, what happens so often in their time of, of pain, some people grow through their pain. But some people get stuck in their pain. Some people get go on through their hurt, and some people get stuck in their hurt and never get past it. Why? Because they never take the second step that God says in His Word. Number one, number one set, step, realize that God is with me. Number two is this, we have to release the hurt. We have to find a way to release the hurt that's in our life. Let go of it. How do we do that? How do we stop focusing on what's lost? We need to stop focusing on what's lost and focus on what's left. So often in life what we do is we never see what's still around us because we're so focused on what's lost. And I have never found a person in this world can do anything about something that happened yesterday or five years ago or ten years ago. You can't do it, right? You can't deal with it that way. You have to focus on what's left. Isaiah 43, 18 says, Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, says the Lord. God says, you know, I'm sympathetic with your past. I'm aware of what's happened to you, but I want you to release the hurt. I want you to get past the hurt, because if you can't get past the hurt, you'll get stuck in the hurt and we have to realize that God is with me and I need to release the past. Now, there's some options about how we deal with the hurt in our life. And the reason we don't find comfort. Uh, there's, there's three options that really, uh, really don't work too well. We can, uh, we can repress the hurt. We can repress it. We can push it down. We can swallow it. Some people do that. They're really good at repressing stuff. How are you doing? You know, and they're going through a terrible time. And what is their response? Fine. Fine. They're gritted teeth. Fine. You, ever, you know, you meet people like that, that's, they repress the truth. The truth is that, you know, they're going through tough times. We, we can't be honest and we can't. We repress the truth. We repress the hurt. You push it down, you, you swallow it. Let me ask you, if you swallow your hurt, what keeps score? Your stomach keeps score. Through ulcers and, you know, all kind of medication. I mean, let me tell you, it's... No, there's, there's, there's no re, it's no, no wonder in this world that, you know, some of the most high selling medications that deal with, you know, deal with stomach problems. Because so often in life, we repress the hurt in our life. We push it down. And if you pretend it doesn't exist and you hold on to it, guess what? That's unhealthy. It does nothing for the hurt except make you hurt more in physical ways, in emotional ways. That's one way we can deal with it. We can repress it, the hurts in our life. You can rehearse it. This is like one of the things we do. You ever have self-talk? None of you do this, right? Something happens in your life and you start talking about it in your brain over and over and over again. What happens when you talk about it over and over again? 
It becomes larger and larger and larger in your life. You know, people come to me all the time with marital issues, and, and, and they'll come in there, and they'll be just mad at each other. And I love to hear people do that, you know. It's just a joy in my life. No, but the issue is, is that they come in and they do that, and guess what? And we'll start talking back about the where, where it all started, and it started with something that was not anywhere near as big as the emotion they're having with it right now. But what they've done, they've rehearsed it over and over again in their minds. And they torture themselves by thinking about it over and over. And God says this. He says, remember that passage? Don't dwell on the past. Don't let it consume your thoughts. There's a big difference between mourning and moaning. Mourning is legitimate. Moaning is not. Moaning is rehearsing it. Mourning is legitimate grief. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for thou will give them comfort. God wants to comfort you in your grief and your heartache, but you can't sit around and rehearse it all the time in your brain because all it is, it'll, it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. A third thing that people do with their hurts is they resent it. They resent it. When somebody has hurt you, when the pain is caused by someone else, we fantasize about how we're going to get back at that person, right? Let's be honest. How are we going to get back at them all the time? Resentments can eat, eat you up. It kills you inside. It's like cancer. It eats you alive and destroys us. So how, if we don't do any of those, what do we do? It Like I shared, we need to release the hurt. The, the, fourth part, the fourth option, the only biblical option, though, God says if you want comfort in your mourning, in your pain, you got to think differently. You can't fix it yourself. What you got to do is you got to release it. Release the hurt. What does that mean? Romans twelve nineteen says this. It says, Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for he has said he will repay those who deserve it. If you want to let go of your hurt, you must let God settle the score. Realize that God is the righteous person who always makes things right in the world eventually. And he's not on your timetable, by the way, or my timetable. If somebody's hurt, you let God handle it. Someone, someone did something to you that you couldn't control and they hurt us and it's out of control. But it's not out of God's control. Give it to God. I love Psalm 10. If you ever want to read a, a psalm that's kind of like, I don't know, discouraging to start with and encouraging to end up, read Psalm 10. It's called the victim's psalm. Some people have called it. It's actually not, you know, you won't find that listed in your Bible. But it's been called the victim's psalm. It's kind of saying this. Let me give you the paraphrase of what it says. It says, Lord, there are those guys out there, and they're hurting people, and they're hurting themselves, and they're taking advantage of others. And they say, God's not watching. I can do whatever I want and get away with it. And they're bowling people over and destroying lives and then saying, God doesn't care. God doesn't see it. That's what the first 13 verses of the psalm says. But in verse 14, this is what it says. Psalm 10, verse 14, but you, O God, do see the hurt, the grief and the pain, and you will call that person into judgment and avenge the helpless and the victims. It's saying to us that leave it, leave it in God's hands and let God be God and fight your battles. He can do a better job of it than you can. Do you believe that? I believe that. I don't know everything about what's in a person's heart. Sometimes I can read the situation totally wrong, and you can too. And if it needs to be taken care of, I believe in the righteousness of God, that he always does what's right. That's part of his character. So it says, leave it up to God. 
So what do you do when, you, when you're angry? How do you, you, you leave it up to God, but what do you do? How do you use the anger in some constructive way? You use the energy to help other people. You know, the Bible says it's all right to be angry, but not to sin. To be angry and sin not. So what do you do with it? You turn it into something constructive. For instance, a great, one of the greatest examples of all time is an organization called MAD, M-A-D-D. You know what it stands for? Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You know how it started? Mothers who had ki- kids and family members killed by drunk drivers. Now, they got mad for a while, and they got angry for a while, but they turned it into something constructive. And so what they did is they began to ask, how can we constructively help this problem that the world has? And they formed an organization which actually goes around and talks and tries to help the whole problem of, of drinking and driving. That's, that's the organizational structure there. You see, if you're mourning and grief, hurting, realize that God is with you. He's close to the brokenhearted. If you're in mourning today, if you're hurting today, God has never been closer to you if you allow him to be. Don't dwell on the past. Don't resent it. Don't rehearse it. Don't repress it. Release it to God. Let him deal with it. That's step two, release the hurt. Step three, rely on God's resources. You know, he says, going back to the the, the verse that we started with, the, the beatitude, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's his promise to us. One of 7,000 promises in Scripture. We need to rely on God's resources. So how can you be happy? How can you find peace in the midst of the trials of life? Receive God's comfort. God uses three things to comfort us, I believe. At least three things, probably more than that. But I'm just going to name the big three. Number one is God's Word. God's Word. Um, it's kind of a comforter. You know what a comforter is? I don't know. You know the term com- we use the term comforter around here. It's like a big blanket thing you put around you. It you know, keeps you warm. You really need them around here in the winter. You know, it, it, in, in Virginia, we call them comforters, you know. Is that what they're called here? No. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's a proper term. I found out sometimes I don't use the proper terms because they're local. Uh, like I use the term aunt and use the, most of you say aunt. You know, when you're talking about relative, you know. But anyway, you can be wrong. Um, <laughs> what are the three, com- what are the God's resources for comfort? Number one, God's word. We have to, if you want to find comfort, guess where the first place you need to turn is God's word. We need to rely on scripture. David said it in Psalm 119, verse 25 and verse 52. He says this, I am completely discouraged. That's what he says in verse 25. And then we read further, further, further along with that passage. And then in verse 52, it says, Revive me by your word. Your word has been my comfort. David, who had all kinds of ups and downs in life, was found, found comfort in God's word. I mean, if you want to read some comforting, I find myself going back to Psalms time and time and time again because many of the Psalms are, are Psalms of comfort and strength that help you. And, and you go through and highlight uh, uh, the words that give you comfort. Like I said, there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Uh, they're promises that God says, things that he wants to give to us. He wants to encourage us in. So often we don't know them, though. And you can't find comfort from something you don't know. God wants us to rely on his word. And I know that in a crowd this size, there's probably a lot of hidden hurt. There's a lot of people who are going through, uh, through hurts and they're saying, you maybe you're saying things like, well, does God have a word for me? I, I guarantee it. He has a word for you in his word. 
He understands. He feels it. He'll help you in your frustration, your pain, your hurt. Look to God's Word and become a student of His book. That's the first comforter God uses. Secondly, God uses God's people. Firstly, God's Word. Secondly, God's people. We need each other. Guess what? You know, that whole thing back, going back to last week, how all the Beatitudes tie together? Blessed are the poor in spirit. What did it mean? Humility. I can't do it on my own. I need God and I need others. It's the admission of the fact that you and I cannot do it on our own. There is no such thing in Scripture as a lone ranger Christian. Christians are meant to live in community. Community does not mean this pseudo kind of like coming to church, sitting in rows and never talking to anybody. That's why we constantly say you need to be connected with people. Now, you don't need to be connected with, you know, five, six hundred people. You need to be connected, connected with 10 or 12 people who you get to know and you live your life out in a real way. People that you could be honest with. We're doing a study in my small group right now. It's called What If? What if, you know, if, you're, if your small group really made a difference in your life? What if, the first week, what if we really cared? What does that look like in a group? This past week, what if we were really honest? You know, what if we were really honest with each other? What would that look like? It's, it, you know, let me tell you, you know, it's tough being honest because it means to go back to that first beatitude. Humility. I don't have it all together. You know, I'm sorry. Andre Agassi was not right. I was not right. Image is not everything. You remember the commercials, Andre Agassi, tennis player? He always said, image is everything. Image is not everything. Image is nothing. It's false. We have to understand that God wants us to be honest. And, and God gives us comfort through God's people, but we have to be honest. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says this. The God of all comfort comforts us in all of our troubles. You could have stopped there. But then he says this, so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, I want you to take that and put that on your refrigerator, that verse. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Because you know what it's saying? It's saying this, if you're hurting today... You are not alone in your hurt. You're, you're, you think your problem is unique. Let me tell you, in a congregation this side, there's probably people that have been through similar hurts that you have had. They've already been there. They've hurt. And hopefully they've, you know, they've gotten past. They've released it to God. They've, they've ex- experienced comfort in their life in a real way. And because of that, what it's saying to us is this, is we need to comfort others with a... You know, if you've gone through a hurt and God has helped you through it and you've come out and you're semi-sane after the other side, guess what this verse says? You're to comfort others. Your ministry, your mission in this world is that... One of your missions in this world besides and how we carry it out, loving others, loving God, loving people... Loving people sometimes deals with, in some real ways, the hurts that we've had and to help people through similar hurts. I've not had every hurt, okay? So I can't say to people, I know where you are because I've not been there in many areas. Some areas I've been in, some areas you've been in. The issue is God says that we're to give comfort to other people. God's people gives us that comfort, but we have to be honest and we have to admit our hurts and we have to say we don't have it all together. Basically, you, you just can't, the Christian life is not a spectator sport. You've got to be a participator. 
The question is, you know, if you're not in pain now, what is this verse? Well, it says like, well, if you've already been through it, hey. Let let me say something about this. Um, People in pain don't need advice. They really don't. They just need someone to say, I understand. I know what it's like to go through a divorce. Or I know what it's like to go through to lose my, lose a job overnight. I know what it's like to, 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 to not be able to do the dream I had. You know, you just go through the whole list of things. I know what it's like. I've been there. And for people to walk along beside them. You know, that's one of the crazy things that people, we go to, go to funerals and what do we usually do? We think we have to talk to people. We have to say something that's going to make them feel better. Guess what? Probably won't. Just being there is the most important thing sometimes you can do. I, I understand. I'm there with you. So God's people is the second source that resource that God has. But the third one is probably the most important and sometimes the most neglected. And that is God's Spirit. God's Spirit is our comfort. God Himself wants to be our, wants to be our friend. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked around in bodily form upon this earth, and he, and he came he came to his disciples before he was going to be uh, crucified and, and resurrected, and what he said, he said, I'm going, back, going to go back to heaven, but when I go, I'm going to come back to earth in another form, in the form of something called the Holy Spirit, so I can be with you and in you. That's the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, one of the words, the Greek words that translated Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. You know what the word paraclete means? Probably not unless you took Greek. It means comforter. Comforter. The Holy Spirit, one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is comforter. God says, I want to live in you. I, I, I want to be have a relationship with you in such a way that, that, that I help you through, that, that you help you go through all of God's Word and see where the reality of, of the truth is. And, and I want you to be able to be honest and open with other people. God's Spirit will give us the power to do the things that we cannot do ourselves. You see, I'm not talking here about religion. Now, you may have grown up Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or nothing. But it really doesn't matter. The important thing at this point is this. Do I want to have a relationship with God? And Jesus, when he, because when, when we have a relationship with God, when we say, God, come into my life, the Bible tells us that Jesus puts his spirit into us to help us to live life. It's not only a comforter, but it's a power source in a real sense. And I can tell you this from all the years of experience of being a Christian. I, always, I didn't really feel anything different when, when I became a believer. I felt some excitement about the fact that I'd turned my life over to Christ. But I didn't have this power surge or anything like that in my life. The reality was, but I can tell you through life that what has happened is the Holy Spirit had come into my life and he makes sense of some things that, ha- that happened. I've noticed the results over the years in my life of the Holy Spirit in my life. When I didn't think I could make it anymore sometimes for some way, I was able to make it through. It was God's Spirit. It wasn't me. That's the humility part. And and the Bible says you can have that same power in your life. He wants to live in you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to have a relationship with you so that through the tough tragedies of life, you have some inner strength. That's what God says through His Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit coming in you. That's something we so often forget. You know, we're going like, oh, I can fix it. I'll come up with my three-step plan to, to come out of this problem. Rely upon God's resources, God's people, and God's spirit. Those are the resources that God tells us to rely upon. And he says, if you do so, 
that I will give you the comfort that you need. In Romans 15, 13, in the Phillips translation, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. You see, when God puts his spirit in your whole life, your whole life and outlook, he says, may be filled with hope. And that's what we often, that's what we really need is hope. I shared with you before that over the years, I've had the opportunity of uh, doing lots and lots and lots of funerals. Before I came here to this church, I spent 13 years at a church in Virginia, senior pastor. It was an older traditional church that had several hundred people on the rolls. And uh, that means they didn't always show up. They just kind of were on the roll there. And uh, I did lots of funerals. I did almost 300 funerals. And let me tell you what the saddest thing is in the world I've ever seen. The saddest thing is at funerals where people have no hope. And, and people trying to sit around and they're trying to talk about stuff and, and they're trying to build up, uh, they're trying to uh, uh, cheer themselves up with nothing. But let me tell you the joyous event, some of the most joyous events in life have been funerals also because when people understand that their loved one has a relationship with God and because of that relationship with God, of turning their life over to God, they're gonna, they, they truly believe that that person is going to be with heaven. It's not necessarily, they're sad for themselves because of the lack of relationship, but they're happy for the person. You see, God says that, God says that, that when you have God's Spirit in us, He gives us hope. That we may live with this radiant hope in our life. You see, as a pastor, I walk with a lot of people through a lot of grief. Psychologists see emotional pain. Doctors see physical pain. Bank, uh, bankers and financial counselors see financial pain. Pastors see it all. We see pain. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes into our life, we have hope, the thing that we really need to keep us going, the thing that helps us pass where we are. Because the Bible describes something. It says that when you're in Christ, not only do you have the here and now, but it says in Revelation 21, it says that in heaven, the place where we eventually go as, as a believer, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more grief, no anger, no resentment, no more victims. I use that verse lots of times at funerals to remind us when it's a believer of, of what that place is like. It gives us hope. And, and I'm looking forward to that. And as a believer, you should look forward to that as well. But probably most of you will not die today or tonight. I don't mean to be morbid, okay, just realistic. But So the issue is, is that uh, you've got to live tomorrow, Right? And tomorrow there may be difficulties and pain. Uh, you may have mourning in your life. The question is, what are you going to hold on to when that comes? What are you going to hold on to when that comes? What is going to motivate you to get up, get out of bed, and go on with your whole world uh, with your, when your whole world seems to end because of the death of a loved one or some major crisis or a tragedy? What's going to give you hope? And I see people facing tragedies and falling apart, and I think how senseless when God says, I'm aware, I care, I want to help you out to be your friend, I will strengthen you and help you, I will give you comfort. When he promises us all these things. Blessed are those who mourn, 
but they shall be comforted. That's the second beatitude. First, we admit our inability to do it on our own. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Secondly, when we go through the tough times of life, we mourn. When we go through the tough times, we realize we can't do it on our own either. And so what we do is we turn into God's resources, God's word, God's people, and God's spirit, and realize what he has for us. So it leads us to the conclusion today is this. Let me ask you this. Comfort is available to all of us, but you have to change the attitude you have. You have to change the direction of your life to allow it to happen. So let me ask you about three things I'd like to, I think that God's Word says to us about this. Number one, three commitments. Number one, if you've never accepted Christ and and He's never come into your life and you've never said yes to Him, you have to do that before you can get God's comfort. It is not available to people who do not know Him. God simply wants you to come in. His priorities need to be your priorities. You have to allow Him to come. You have to first humbly come to Him and say, God, I can't do it on my own. So if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as Lord and say you'd like to talk to somebody as soon as this service is over this morning, Dan Haney and myself and some others are going to be over here in the room over here following the service in just a couple of minutes. And if you'd like to talk to us about what it means to accept Christ and follow him as your Lord and Savior, we can give you the steps of how, what the Bible says about that. Commitment number one. Because if you don't, you will find yourself in the midst of the chaos of life of exploding under the pressure. You know, when a submarine goes down into the, into the ocean, I found it interesting. I was watching the History Channel the other day or the Learning Channel or something like one of those channels. And it was talking about submarines and how they work. You know, when they go down in the water and it gets deeper and deeper and they go down several hundred feet, guess what happens on the exterior of the submarine? The water pressure becomes huge. You know how they deal with that? What they do is they inter- the internal pressure is, ra- ra- is raised, and so it becomes equal with the external pressure to, to allow them to, take, to go down deeper and deeper and deeper. It's kind of a picture of life. If you don't have, you know, what happens in life, God said, my spirit lives in you. And when the external pressures of life are pushing in on you, if you don't have that God's spirit, which equalizes the pressure on the outside, what happens? You will explode. You will implode. You need God in your life to deal with life. So commitment number one is don't, 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 don't. Live life another day without Christ. Commitment number two, we were not meant to live alone. You need to find a church family, whether it's here at Great Oaks or somewhere else. You need to find a church family, not just be a spectator, but be a participator. We're a family here, folks. We're a family that believes, you know, we're not, we're an imperfect family, okay? We don't do things perfectly in any sense, we, you know, sometimes we don't do as well as we'd like to, but the issue is we're trying to be a family. And you need to get connected with people. It's whether, and, and make a commitment to join a, a group of people who are a church, and so you can become involved in, in serving together and ministering together and caring for one another and, and helping each other through all the ups and downs of life. So if you're not a part of the church or already not part of any church, I would encourage you to consider, you know, signing up for the next uh, first step, which is which helps you in a real sense to understand what it means to be a part of a church. To take that step, which is important. And finally, the third challenge I see in this is the challenge that's there 
in that passage that I read before in 2 Corinthians 1, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I challenge you to give your life away. God says the greatest thing you can do with your life is to help others in their time of need. To give others the comfort that you've received from God. If you're a believer here this morning and all you do is come on Sunday mornings and you sit in a row and you go home and it doesn't affect your life the rest of the week, that is not what it means to be a believer in Christ. God wants us all to, to, to realize that when we accept Christ, and that's what I've said earlier, our goal this year is to help us to become to think and to act more like Christ. This is one step towards that. To adopt Christ into our life in such a way that his, his, our belief system is such a way that it affects every decision we make. And it means that we'll spend the time to comfort others and we'll seek out others who are going through times that maybe we've already been through. So we can give them the comfort that God gave to us. See, life's not fair. God's will is not always done. That's why we pray for it to be done. When Jesus taught his disciples, you know, pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's because the will, we, God gives us choices in life. And because of those choices in life, what happens so often to us is that we simply do not follow Christ the way we should, follow God's will the way we should. And it hurts us and it hurts others. And so people hurt. But God says, I'll give you the comfort you need if you use my resources. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.